How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 34 of X-Lapsed. It is a uh, most deadly episode uh, we're going to find out as we work our way through this issue of X-Force. Uh, today, it's X-Force Volume 6, Number 4, had a February 2020 cover date. The story is called Blood Economics, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Josh, Josh, oh, Joshua Kassara. Easy for me to say. Colors, Dean White and Guru EFX. Let is VC's Joe Caramagna, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, our edits are Robinson White Sobolski. Cover price $3.99, went on sale December 18th, 2019. Now we start with a fairly unpleasant looking cover. Um, it kind of looks like something you might see on either volume of X-Men Unlimited. Really doesn't match anything that's going on in the books right now. It just feels very... I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> now we open up, perhaps to our largest ever roll call page yet. Let's see if we can get through these names here. With uh, I doubt I'll be able to do it in one breath, so we'll just take our time. Wolverine, Kid Omega, Domino, Professor X, Marvel Girl, Beast, Sage, The Black King, Sebastian Shaw, Storm, Apocalypse, still not listed as A.E., Mr. Sinister, Mystique, Magneto, Exodus, Nightcrawler, and Forge. Yowza. Okay, double page spread of creds, and then in we go. Now we open at an Xavier Pharmaceuticals. That's like pharmaceuticals, but with an X in the middle of it. A distribution site off the eastern seaboard uh, kind of looks like a bubble on stilts, because it's, you know, kind of in the water. We see some, I'm assuming, lowly Xeno grunts bobbing in the surf below. They climb up and... Uh, well, they kill them. They, they, they start killing some guards. They start taking out guards, uh, and the guards are comprised of multiple man dupes. Now, while all of this is going on, we're reading some narration from Professor Xavier, and he's, he's busy talking about how happy he is that they were attacked back in X-Force number one because uh, now their strengths have been reinforced or something. I don't know. I guess maybe, maybe we're looking on the bright side of a... Uh, we're trying to make the best of a bad situation. I don't know. Now this takes us to a meeting of the Quiet Council, and it looks like the gang's all here, minus the Red Queen. Xavier then interjects this weird bit of conversation. He starts discussing Hercules and his Twelve Labors. Uh, but first, he fills us in on some lesser-known Herc history, which uh, kind of makes me think Ben Percy just learned a lot of this stuff himself and was in a big rush to share it, because, uh... Ugh, howdy, this feels, this feels rather shoehorned. Um... You ever see that episode of Friends where Joey buys, like, one volume of the encyclopedia? And so he spends, like, the rest of the episode trying to steer any and all discussion to the subjects that start with, like, the letter V? 
Like he wants to talk about Vesuvius and vacuums and stuff because he had he only bought the V volume of the encyclopedia and he wanted to sound smart. This kind of feels like that. Um, anyway, the gist of it is, Hercules was strong but stupid. He needed his sister Athena to bail him out time and again. From here, we join Beast, Marvel Girl, and Old Lady Jubilee as they check in on that Farmax DC. And, uh... Okay, Sage really looks like an older Jubilee here. They have basically the same outfit. Bright yellow jacket, gaudy pink shades. I gotta figure I'm not the only one to have seen this page and wonder when Jubilee had the time to grow her hair out, right? I mean, this is... It's very, very, uh... Very similar. Uh, anywho... Jean telepathically projects what one of the surviving Jamie dupes saw, and, uh, well, it's pretty hard to, s- to see exactly what we're supposed to be seeing here. Um, all I can tell you is it looks violent, but uh, really doesn't tell us much of the story. I think we might all assume that uh, an event that left a bunch of dupes dead was violent, so this is kind of redundant. Uh, it's worth noting here that Hank does note that the, the attackers used a different caliber of gun than the Wetworks team did when they took out Xavier. Not sure this proves anything, or perhaps maybe that's just a tidbit for us readers who already have an idea that Xeno is comprised of, like, bits and pieces of several different disparate secret agencies. Or maybe they're a different group altogether. I mean, it's just masked masked dudes here, so it's really, really difficult to think all that hard about it. Um, Jean, she thinks out loud about how difficult it was for Jaime to reabsorb the surviving dupe. Jaime... Man, it's a good thing we got three editors on this book, isn't it? Hmm. From here, Beast and Sage waste most of a page arguing about how the attackers arrived at this distribution center. Tessa is now under the assumption that these baddies were aiming at uh, Krakoan finances and data, which I suppose stands to reason. From here, we get an info page that lists all of the Xavier Shell corporations. We've got Xavier Pharmaceuticals, we got Gifted Mind Technologies, Uncanny Valley Farms, some is News and Media, Evolution Energy, X Mark Spot Mining, Cerebral Films, Phoenix Law Offices, Salem Center Auctions and Real Estate, Blackbird Motors, Wolverine Waste Management, oh god, uh, His Dream Philanthropic Foundation. Uh, they really got, uh, they really got try hard toward the end there, didn't they? Um, also, Xavier created the digital currency known as Xcoin. How five years ago? Huh. Okay. Back to the Quiet Council. Sebastian Shore wonders why they're all, you know, all on edge right now. He says, you know, after all, Xavier was killed, and now he's back. Also, Xavier's been robbed, but now he's a billionaire. He doesn't seem to understand the stakes here, and, uh, here I am agreeing with him. And you all just wait till the very end of this issue, because, uh, oof. Oh, boy. From here, we get some very rehearsed-sounding dialogue from many of the Council members. Sassy Sinister seems to be the only one with his head on straight. He suggests that they, you know, just take out their attackers. Gene says no way, and then projects a scarily posed assortment of their new foes. I mean, you gotta see this panel here. It's You have, like, a row of these masked guys here, in, in like, in formation, and, like, the boss, you know, the big court of owls-looking guy, he's, like, behind them, looming over them like a giant, you know, like he's, like, posed for this picture. It looks like something that should be a comic book cover and not something that Jean Grey should be projecting telepathically because it looks like, uh... It doesn't look like anything you would actually see in real life. It's, uh, really... 
I don't know. I'm, I probably shouldn't be thinking about it. Oh, it's also worth noting that Doug Ramsey is present for this meeting, so uh, I guess the New Mutants make it back okay from Shi'ar space. Spoiler alert? I don't know. Uh, Exodus asks what they might do about this, you know, this group here, Zeno. Xavier suggests, hey, we'll use X-Force. Then, the conversation shifts to suggesting that X-Force is something akin to, like, a Krakoan CIA. And, uh, hey, that's another safe target for our heroes and writers to pass off commentary about in it. We had Big Pharma last episode, Big Corporations, and now the CIA today. So we're really taking down some big-time sacred cows here, huh? Uh, Mystique especially has a problem with this idea, but Jean tries to bring it all back around to Xavier's earlier lecture on Hercules and Athena. It's uh, it's a uh, observation I've made before when we've read X Force. Uh, it feels like they're writing these in reverse. You know, you, get, you have that point you want to make, but you have to get there. So I think we really wanted to get to this point, and so we had to dial back five or six pages to get this weird, pointless, and out of nowhere Hercules Athena thing. From here, we follow Wolverine, Quentin Quire, and Domino down to the Armory to meet up with Forge. And Forge is being written like, kind of like that black market weaponeer uh, who, like, you can get your weapons on the DL if you're in a buddy cop movie. You know, he's like that kind of eccentric guy who has, like, really bad jokes, because when they show up here, he tells them if they're looking for stuffed animals, they're in the wrong place. Really, Forge? Come on. From here, he and Wolverine also have this like weird, playful, contentious relationship thing going on. It feels so dumb. They arm wrestle, like in midair, out of nowhere. They just arm wrestle. They like do a little test of strength. Wolverine pops his claws. They both laugh. It's ridiculous. Uh, once this foreplay, and that's Forge's words, not mine, is over, Forge shows off his new organic weaponry. It's kind of uh, made of the flesh of Krakoa. It's organic, plant, bio, whatever. And uh, this organic weaponry can be a blaster, a blade, it could be pretty much anything you want. Um, He refers to it as a Swiss Army mitten. And while it's really, really gross, it's a pretty cool idea. I like it a lot. Um, Now, before our heroes leave, Wolverine notices a big old tub of molten adamantium. Forge says it's there for the times they have to put Wolverine back together, you know, vis-a-vis a resurrection. Wolverine asks if Forge might be able to make him something with it, but doesn't get the chance to elaborate. And uh, one dollar American says it's a sword. I'm I'm betting it's a sword, because that's what we get in these books. From here, an info page. And it's a page out of Forge's day planner. And, uh, you know, uh, the comedian's at the mound, and he throws the joke. Swing and a miss. Not funny, not even cute. From here, we shift over to the point, where Beast and Tessa have deduced that the baddies will next target an Xavier facility outside of San Francisco. And this one also looks like a gross bubble, just not on stilts, because it's not in the middle of the water. Uh, Sure as sugar, the masked men bust in and attack. Beast note that the people in this place are human associates of Xavier, and so, if they die, it's a one-way trip. And I wonder, has Xavier ever tried to back up a non-mutant? If not, why not? If he's working with and entrusting, you know, some humans to run his his interests and his labs and his research, wouldn't it stand to reason that he'd try to back them up? I don't know. Maybe we'll get a, a, a full explanation on that sort of thing later, reasons why he can't. Who knows? Now, 
Let's hop to San Francisco, and these masked goons are laying waste to the facility. They're shooting the ever-loving hell out of the scientists and engineers. And so Wolverine, Domino, and Kid Omega rush toward the Krakoan gateway that will deliver them there. But the bad guys have attached some explosives to the other end of it. Now here's the thing, and this is our go-home. Wolverine and Kid Omega are in the process of passing through the gateway when the whole thing goes boom. So, out the other end, all that made it through was the top half of Wolverine and Quentin Quire's head. Domino was a step behind, so she just winds up not teleporting at all. And we're out of here. Next stop, Fallen Angels. Okay. Okay. Seriously? We have four issues of X-Force under our belt here. And two of them end with major character deaths? I mean, I get that... You know, I get changing the stakes. That's been like a huge, major theme of many of our discussions up to this point on X-Lapsed. But four issues in, and it already feels like we're in self-parody mode here, because this feels like a joke. This is like something out of, like, Punisher or Deadpool or insert extreme character here destroys the Marvel Universe levels of bad comedy. Is, is this really what we're in for with this book? Are, are we just looking to think of new and creative ways to kill every single character, knowing that they're going to be right back on the front lines an issue or two later? This, I... I hated this ending. Um, we're just killing the concept of the cliffhanger by instilling this feeling that nothing really matters. You know, I, I, and we're talking about shifting the stakes here, but this, we have Wolverine cut in half. Um, we already saw the pool of adamantium. We know that he can be rebuilt. We, we've seen, we've seen Wolverine rebuilt before. Um, this just feels pointless. Um, it feels like a way to extend a story that doesn't need to be extended, because this is going to lead to more parts. Yeah. Okay, let, let's let's leave that where it's at, and we'll just move on from here. All right, plenty more forced Percy dialogue here. Uh, lots of points being made at the expense of sounding like, you know, actual humans speaking. I mean, we're getting pages and pages of dialogue that clearly no one ever bothered to actually say out loud... Otherwise, they would just have to know how stilted and forced it sounded. Uh, this is getting to, you know, fans of DC Comics might, or current year DC Comics, might know a fellow by the name of Steve Orlando. His dialogue is all sorts of inorganic. Um, feels very, very forced. Feels very unhuman. Um, it's like Siri speak. You know, it's not something a human being would ever say. It's just uh, exposition as dialogue, and it doesn't work. Now, our threat being, like, just a mass cabal of geeks? I guess this is just a situation we run into when all of our best villains suddenly side with the heroes. We get, like, nameless, faceless, pointless bad guys. I mean, I've joked that this feels sort of like a Wildstorm comic, and, I mean, it really, really does. Uh, we've had our Wetworks crew. We've got a group of suited, masked bad guys to worry about. I mean, what, what is this, Divine Right, DV8, Stormwatch? Come on, this is just so... Ugh. I, I, like, all we need to happen now is for the leader, this Court of Owls guy from Xeno, like, removing his mask to reveal, like, waist-length, shockingly white hair and a scar over one of his eyes. And it's like, okay, we've gone full Wildstorm. And I will continue 
not to give a crap. Uh, Forge. Um, I don't think I've ever seen him written quite so dopely. Uh, he and Wolverine playing like that old bros routine. I'll say it with me. It felt extremely forced. I mean, they've got like pet names for one another. Like he's calling Wolverine he's like Short Stack. Uh, they're they're playfully arm wrestling for no reason. Like what is this? Like two varsity football players at the high school reunion? Eh, not 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 good. I will say though, Forge's Krakoan Swiss Army mitten, really cool idea. Though I mean, with something like that, what more of a point does Forge himself serve? If this mitt can do and be anything, why the hell do we still need Forge? Did he just like work himself out of a job? I've been in that position before, and it's not fun. Uh, the tub of adamantium that begs a few questions. First of all, why haven't they laced every Resurrectee's bows with bones with the stuff? I mean, if they've got it, and lots of it, why not? Why can't Cyclops have a have an adamantium skeleton? It's not like they're affecting his, you know, his biology. It's still the Cyclops' body. I mean, Wolverine's body wasn't born with adamantium. They're adding that after the fact. So, why not just give it to everybody when they're bringing them back? Just a way to make them sturdier. Um, I do appreciate that we do get some clarification on how a resurrected Logan will still have his inorganic adamantium-laced bones. But I feel like it begs more question than it answers. Um, and also, uh, he's totally asking Forge to, uh, you know, forge a so- an adamantium sword, right? I mean, that's got to be where we're headed with this. We, we're getting swords like every third issue, so I, it's almost got to be. Uh, let's talk about the art. Uh, it felt a bit scratchier than usual. Uh, I mean, considering this is usually a darker book, but this time it was a little like it was like Scratch City. Uh, some pages felt like we were looking at inked and colored sketches or pencil roughs. Really not the best look. Uh, overall, I'd say this is kind of a dud. I am completely over Dead Mutants, and I am losing interest in the direction of this book. I want to be optimistic. I want to like this. There's a lot of characters in this book I like. But this ain't doing it. This ain't doing it for me. Um, this is uh, very samey. Uh, we talked about, you know, the the curse of part four of six. And, I mean, this isn't exactly that because we are getting some things happening here. But it's just the same things. You know, it's... We gotta deal with more mutant deaths now. And... I'm over it. <laughs> I'm over it. But uh, that's pretty much all I got to say about X-Force number four. But before we go, we do have a couple of pieces of mail to look at here. Now we'll start with Damien. This is talking about Marauders number four. Damien says, first off, I have to thank you for linking to my stuff. And this is regarding uh, his Millennium posts and his Millennium episode. Uh, he continues, I'm always keen to get more eyes and ears on my stuff. Of course, you also linked your Millennium stuff, so I'll now read loads more behind-the-scenes information. You really have managed to gather together a lot of resources. I'm very jealous. And uh, thank you, but uh, never never be jealous of obsessive compulsivity. <laughs> I'm a sick man. Um, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a sick fellow when it comes to putting together a lot of stuff. Uh, now, I'm always looking for ways to share folks' work. Um, I only wish my voice carried a little bit further so I could be more of a help in that regard. And, uh, you know, there was a time where it did carry a little bit further, but just not so much anymore. I'm I'm trying, though. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I think everybody's just tired of me. 
Um, and I'm also like notoriously bad at promoting my own work. So anytime I see like a semi-organic opportunity, I do try and take it. I miss far more than I hit, unfortunately. But, um, but if you did take a look at that Millennium stuff, I really appreciate it. Uh, that's a, uh, that's one of my, you know, like I said, an evergreen post. It's something that I'm constantly updating whenever I find more information to, uh, to stick in there. So thank you for that. Uh, Damien continues. You're right that hearing people's origin stories is fascinating. We've already established that coming into the X-Men at different points really affects how we view the characters and what we're willing to accept in the stories. One of the best things about comics podcasting is that it's autobiography. Even the most basic index shows reveals how we consume comics. It's amazing that thousands of people all over the world read these issues and we all get something different from them. And yes, it's 100% true. Uh, Comics podcasting is autobiography and it might... You know, for fans of comics and people who grew up with comics, it might be autobiography at its best, you know, considering the subject matter. Now, during my personal, you know, podcasting endeavor, I've learned so much about the different eras where folks have entered the fandom, you know, learned about what stuck out to them, learned about what made them stay. Um, and it's it's wildly interesting because... Different people came in at different times, as it stands to reason. And some people chose to stay for reasons that other people may have chose to leave. It's it's a lot of fun to discuss those sort of things, because I think you get to look at things from a different angle and a different perspective. And, uh, and maybe you get a, get a better or deeper appreciation for things you may not have uh, given a second thought to. Um, during an earlier episode of Chris's on Infinite Earths, I revealed some of my... Um, some of my personal X-Men origin story. And it turned out that a guy that I've been talking to for years now, a fella named Jody Yurden, he's part of the From Claremont to Claremont uh, group. He uh, he discusses uh, X-Men Volume 2 with me there. A uh, good pal of mine. I didn't know that he and I had the very ver- very same first X-Book. You know, we, we both picked up X-Men Volume 2 number 13 <laughs> to enter into the fandom. And I mean, talk about a random issue to start with. It's just wild when you're just learning about uh, about how everybody uh, got their start and uh, and our trajectories through the fandom and and you know thinking about that that same story with uh, with me and Jody picking up the same book it's like I'm thinking you know two little dudes in the comic shop maybe on the same day buying the same first X book it's it's pretty cool to think about. But for you know, for me personally, this outlet is uh, is like a way for me to sort of keep an audio diary. Um, you know, back to Chris's on Infinite Earths. That's a more personal show. You know, I'll talk about my life and times outside of comics that'll tangentially relate to comics. You know, and I'll do that for, I mean, sometimes over an hour, well over an hour before actually moving into comics content. Uh, you know, there's, there's just so many things I think. I think as a fandom, we uh, we do stuff where, like, the way I usually put it is, comics have you know they've got they've got cover dates right, so we can almost at a glance be able to tell where we were when we bought a certain thing, you know, and you could think about, you know, for me personally, it's like I can I can remember reading certain books and remember what was bubbling on the stove, you know, or remember what was on the TV in the background, or remember what 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 song was playing on the radio while I'm reading a, a certain book. 
it's it's very fun to uh, to go back to those thoughts and to kind of relive those memories and associate the reading of a comic or the experiencing of a comic with something going on in real life. Um, you know, I've told stories about you know falling in love with comics, but being so scared that I was going to miss out because I didn't have the money to uh, to to afford everything I wanted. So taking odd jobs in the neighborhood and and you know mowing lawns and cleaning out apartments and just doing anything i could just so i could get my comics and so i've told stories like that i've told stories where you know how a, how a, you know a comic book i've i've told weird stories about having to lose weight and uh and, and how that associated with comics and there's a lot of a lot of personal stuff on that chris's on infinite earth's uh you know top feed i guess it's all the same feed but playlist maybe i don't know and it's very cathartic uh, though as i said before it kind of feels like a mental and emotional shiatsu massage um and also one thing i never thought of as i was telling all these personal stories is that it kind of puts me at something of a disadvantage when i meet people you know or like folks who i may collaborate with who have listened to these episodes and uh like, we'll have our first voice-to-voice conversation or our first, you know, instant message chat on, on Twitter or something. And even though it's, like, our first time sort of meeting, they already know so much about me. So, like, they're able to reference points in my life, and I'm like, whoa, this is weird, because I can't do the same. Which isn't something I ever thought about before, you know, being... I don't want to say confronted with it, but before experiencing it. And that's... uh I don't know, it's, it's equal parts uh, really cool, and also, it just goes to show that, you know, um, <laughs> per- things that are personal aren't, aren't so much when you when you share them <laughs> in public, but uh, no, it's it's really cool. I love the, the concept of podcast as autobiography. It's, uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's my favorite part of the thing, I think. Uh, but back to Damien here. I'm really looking forward to you getting more fans on to talk about their ex-origins. And yes, I agree, me too. I, I'd love to get more people on to talk about their their lives and times as ex-fans. And uh, and also, you know, pick their brain about this, you know, Hox Pox Docs run. Uh, that's uh, because it is so wildly different from what came before it. It's I think we're going to run into some um, some differing opinions on on how comfortable we are with this new direction. I've already heard from some folks who said they hate it, and uh, which I think puts them in the in the minority in in as far as being vocal about it. Uh, I don't know how evenly split liking or disliking House of X, Power of X, Dawn of X is, but I have heard from a few people who said, you know, it's not for them, and uh, I'd love to pick their brains and find out find out why because. Maybe I'll get a deeper appreciation for some things, or maybe there's things that I, even though I, I chew on the scenery and I get lost in symbolism that isn't even there, maybe I missed out on something personally, you know. But uh, yes, I'm definitely looking forward to chatting up more people and uh, finding out what makes them tick as X-Fans. Uh, back to Damien, he says, On to Marauders. I love this book so much. The best thing is the pacing. We're never on part two or six, uh, two of six. Rather, every issue advances the overall plot, but it's also a complete story. It was great to return to the Zhao plot, but for it to be a beat within a larger story. In many ways, it says something damning about modern comics that I'm impressed by a storyline getting the number of pages it needs. 
You're also right to notice how right the dialogue feels. Kitty and Bishop are furthering the plot while remaining in character. And, and yes, it's true. Uh, this felt this felt like a throwback in a good way. And I, and I think I mentioned this uh, during Marauders number one when we discussed it uh, back a few weeks ago. I mean, this uh, Zhao subplot was something that was you know left to bubble a little bit. You know, it was established in issue one. It got a mention in issue two. Skipped issue three, and here it is paid off in issue four. It's a, uh, I, I guess a way to look at it, or a way I would look at it is like it's kind of an accelerated Claremont subplot, you know, like a payoff of a Claremont story. But uh, oh, you know, so much better than what we're usually getting this side of the year 2000 insofar as decompression and uh, being, kind of being um, condescended to. In that we can only handle one story at a time You know, I feel like With eyes on the bookstore market um, Marvel and DC are looking for a different sort of readership That is, uh, while it has many similarities with uh, the serial readers The month-to-month, you know, single-issue readers They're also very different in that They buy something at a bookstore, they get a complete story and that's all they really need, you know. So it's a, uh, it's refreshing to see this. Um, also refreshing, Kitty and Bishop's relationship. Uh, surprisingly good, given that I really can't remember them ever really pairing off before. Um, and I'm sure they have a time or two. I know they were both on the Claremont Extreme team um, in the early 2000s, uh, but this just felt new. It felt novel, and like you said, it felt just plain right. Um, back to Damien, he says, I also love the detail that Bishop becomes Kitty's Red Bishop, at least partly to keep an eye on Hellfire. It makes sense for them to be suspicious of both Emma and Shaw. And yes, it makes total sense. Total sense. And it opens us up to plenty more story opportunities. I mean, here, we get to keep Bishop in character, right? Because he's been saying, you know, no thank you, I don't want to do this. He's been against it. And... To, to just have him come around to the idea of joining would have felt wrong. But he's doing it because there is an ulterior motive here. It keeps him in character. It keeps him sticking to his guns, but realizing that, uh, you know, that there is a bigger prize out there in in his being in the circle, you know? I mean, we have questions like, what happens if and when Hellfire finds out that Kitty's Red Bishop is feeding information back to Beast and the X-Men, Right. Will Bishop ever wind up getting in over his head here? Will he ever be put in a situation where he might have to, like, actually sell Kitty out? Uh, a lot of fun paths that this can take, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to, to following along and seeing where this goes. It's I don't know that I've enjoyed the Bishop character quite as much as this in, in a very long time, and uh, I think him as the... as the straight man to Kitty kind of being wild and crazy might be uh, might be a fun... Fun little uh, diversion for us. But thank you so much for writing in, Damien. Uh, always appreciate it. Always look forward to it. Uh, next, we have a tweet by our friend Jason C. And this is regarding um, Excalibur number 4, where I said that I got a little bit confused, or a lot of bit confused, about... Uh, you know, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say these things as an American. Uh, you know, what what is England? What is Great Britain? What is the UK? I don't know what any of them means. So he sent me a helpful, helpful in quotes, uh, Venn diagram <laughs> to <laughs> help clear it up. Um, and boy, it is, uh, it's, 
clear as mud. Um, I, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now, and it's got a big circle that says British Isles, right? Then we have another circle within it that has British Islands, and that includes Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, the Isle of Man, Guernsey, and Jersey. And uh, it also includes the subheadings of United Kingdom and Great Britain. Inside the United Kingdom bubble is Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, right? Um, <laughs> Ireland has, it, it crosses over and like Northern Ireland is like the only thing that connects into, into all three. It's, it's so bizarre. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what any of it means. <laughs> I'm, you know, I can be very dense, um, but yeah, I don't know what's what here. Um, we will have, we're gonna have a mention of uh, of the UK, England, Great Britain, um, you know, brain kerfuffle that I have here in a later missive from Damien that we'll cover in a couple of episodes that I'm I'm looking forward to uh, having some fun with. But uh, yes, thank you, Jason. <laughs> um, me, Richter, and Jubilee are all just as confused, but. Uh, Last but not least, we have a message from Ed Moore, and this is about New Mutants number four, and this is answering a question I had, and another just something that should have been obvious. I mentioned uh, that I couldn't figure out what DOX, Docs, stood for when we were talking about the magazine or the website that that revealed that, you know, Beak and Angel and the Bohusk mutant children are hanging out in Pilger, Nebraska. And, you know, of course, D-O-X could stand for Dawn of X, but D-O-X also is a, uh, a common thing on the Internet now that I can't believe I forgot about. Ed sent us the definition here, docs, to search for and publish private or identifying information about a particular individual on the Internet, typically with malicious intent. So doxing, I can't believe I forgot that. Um, <laughs> I feel like an idiot because, I mean... In you know this you know this day and age, that's something we've heard of. That's something that we hear about people being doxxed, and uh, and that's exactly what they did to the Bohusks. You know, they they revealed that they were there in Pilger and and got the cartels on their case. So very interesting. I can't believe I didn't realize it. I can't believe I uh, I overthought it is a thing, and that's something I do a lot. I was looking for a deeper meaning when hey, you know. Doxing is doxing, so it's it's right there and plain in front of my face. So, thank you uh, for uh, for including that, Ed. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, you're going to be hearing more of Ed's voice on this here channel uh, coming up uh, as we kick off the new fall season. So that uh, that's something to look forward to. But uh, thanks everyone for writing in. Thanks everyone for uh, for hanging out. If you need to, like I said it again. If you want to get a hold of me, because nobody ever needs to get a hold of me. If you want to get a hold of me, you could do so at uh, Ace Comics on Twitter or Weird Comics History at gmail.com. You can find show notes and stuff at chrisoninfiniteearths.com. We've got xlaps.chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You got uh, 90s X Men on Facebook. Got the Tumble page. You got all that stuff. You got the audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And uh, I think that's where we'll leave it today. So, uh, one last huge thank you to everyone for uh, sharing your time and sharing your ears. It really means a lot to this cynical soul um it does it does my soul good so thank you thank you all 
And until next time, when we discuss everybody's favorite, Fallen Angels number four, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.